I was at a conference a few years ago and I heard one of the speakers say something that stuck with me and has been helpful during certain seasons and I've returned to it during this season. Here's what the speaker said. Joy fuels endurance. Let that sink in. Joy fuels endurance. I think you know it to be true that it's hard to endure something when you can't experience joy through it. Like your, your mindset of what is to come and the purpose and the aim of what it is you're striving towards helps to fuel your endurance. An example, think of a mother who's pregnant having to endure months of significant uncomfortableness and then the travails of labor only to then hold this beautiful baby that made all of, tra 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 of the travails worth it. Right, dads, right? <laughs> or think of a little girl who desperately wants to ride a bike with no training wheels so she can cruise down the sidewalk and be big and not have that annoying sound of those wheels. And so she keeps trying despite falling over. The, the joy of the prospect of being training wheel free. Or think of a loving dad who consistently pours truth into the lives of his children because of a vision and a joy of seeing them follow Jesus, even though sometimes he doesn't know, is this making any difference? Or a single adult whose passion for being a part of the church, whose love for Jesus eclipses the loneliness and the difficulties of what of what church culture can be like sometimes. So joy fuels endurance in the sense that our affection, our happiness, our delight in something makes endurance possible. Even when we think about regathering, our theme is love more. We want you to love being together more than you hate singing in a mask. We want you to love the church more than you don't like having to be socially distanced. We want you to love more than having to be at home so the joy of what's in front of us fuels endurance. You know the opposite of this, and that is that when things feel pointless, they're extremely discouraging. If your heart isn't in the right place, or you've just had discouragement after discouragement, it's really easy to let a small problem become a really big problem. For instance, have you ever had it where you can't find, let's say, your car keys or something, you missed a payment on a bill or something like that, and it just is the thing that makes you really upset, but it's not just that thing, it's the, that is the 15th thing of things that have happened in a row. So the joy of what can happen produces the fuel of endurance. Today we're gonna look at verse four, just simply 17 words in John or James chapter one, this book is designed to help us know how to faithfully follow Jesus, to be steadfast in our joyful obedience. If you were here last week, you'll remember a few things about the book, but if you weren't, let me give you just a few highlights. First, it's a book written by James, who was the half-brother of Jesus. Secondly, it addresses Jewish Christians who have experienced some level of persecution and hardship. They're dispersed throughout the known world. They were experiencing all kinds of trials, including famine and also some sort of social political tensions with Rome. 
And the aim of this book is to help these hurting Christians know how do we persevere? How do we steadfastly and joyfully follow Jesus? So if joy fuels endurance, then the only reason that equation works is if you know what it is that you're to take joy in, what it is that you are focusing on. The joy in that then becomes the fuel for endurance. And in our text today, James helps us to understand what it is to take joy in what God is doing. This morning I wanna show you this in two ways. We take joy in the fact that number one, we can trust the process, trust what God is doing, and secondly, we can take joy in loving the result of that process. So two thoughts this week to help you make it through another week of faithfully following Jesus is number one, trust the process, and number two, love the result. So let's get to work. Love the result, and first here, trust the process. So last week, we spent some time talking about the word steadfastness. In verse three, James says that we are to know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. So James' aim here is to remind Christians of what they should already know, and that's part of the challenge when hardship comes, is that we tend to forget the things that we know, but hardship causes us to not feel like they're very true. In the midst of our culture, last week I Tried to help you understand that there's an intermingling of three issues within our culture that are making things so complicated, so loaded, so filled with outrage, and those things are theological issues, political issues, and cultural issues. And hopefully that helped you to understand our world a little bit, that depending on what thing you spend the most time thinking about, or reading about, or talking about, or getting ticked off about, that tends to shape the conversation. So if you start with theology, then culture, then politics, it's a very different conversation than if you go politics, culture, theology, very different. But that relates to the outside world. Inside, there's another issue, and that is that inside our souls is this mixture of thinking, actions, and feelings. And hardship causes feelings to get ahead of our actions and our thinking. I mean, I'm sure you've had this before, right? You've been so mad about something that you did something to try and fix it, only to make it worse. And if you just stopped about it and thought about it, you wouldn't have done that in the first place. Or you're so upset about something that you say something that you know you shouldn't say, but in the moment, you just, it just got the better of you. And maybe in the midst of hardship or suffering, you found yourself saying, what was I thinking? Well, the problem was you weren't thinking. That's what suffering or hardship does. We want it over. We feel so strongly that we end up kind of blowing through our thoughts. And what James is saying here is these are the things that you should know. James commands them, commands us to anchor our lives in what we know. That's why this gathering on Sunday morning or watching on live stream is so important. It reminds us of the things that we know because all week long that no bucket, your thinking bucket leaks. It's invaded by feelings and actions. So in verse four, James takes it another step. He says, and let steadfastness have its full effect. Let steadfastness have its full effect. So there's a process here that's at work. That's what's clear. He's the let 
this steadfastness have its full effect. And he's gonna help us understand that there's a bigger picture story of what God is trying to accomplish. So if you're a Christian, you, you came to faith in Christ because you knew that God was holy, you knew that you were not holy, that you were a sinner, and you knew that Jesus died for your sins, and you needed to turn from your sins and put your trust in Christ. Now, if you're not yet a Christian, it may be that this season is helping you to realize that there's needs not only outside of you, but also inside of you. And our hope and prayer is that you'd come to faith in Christ as well during this season. But coming to faith in Jesus is just the first of a lifelong journey. Coming to Christ means that initially you repent of your sins, you acknowledge Christ as Lord, you say, I am a sinner and I need atonement, and that's just the start. You're, you're, you're justified, you're forgiven, but from that point forward, God has a plan for your life. And it is to make you and to shape you and to form you into the image and likeness of Jesus. That's the plan. And one of the challenges that surfaces in the midst of hardship is whether or not we like that plan or whether we want our plan. And what James is saying here is that steadfastness is to have its full effect. There's a divinely ordained process. And by the way, James is not the only place that mentions this. Let me show you two texts. Romans chapter five. First, Paul says, therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. So there it is, we're saved and redeemed. But verse two says this, through him we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings knowing that suffering produces endurance and endurance produces character and character produces hope and hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. So what Paul is identifying here is there is this process that God is at work in us in order to accomplish his plan. That's not the only place. First Peter chapter one, a long text, but it's worth looking at. He says, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and to an inheritance that is unperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. In other words, he says, your redemption is secure. No one, not even you, can touch it. He says, verse five, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. And in this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And though you have not seen him, you love him. And though you do not yet now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Aren't those texts helpful? It's just helpful to be reminded what God is doing because my guess is over the last couple of months, there may have been one or two times in your life where you've said something like this, God, what are you doing? What in the world? Another thing? My goodness. One thing after another after another. Well, according to this text, you may cry that out in terms of a lament of just saying, God, what in the world? But friend, Christian, you not need wonder what God is doing. 
The Bible tells us what he is doing. What he is doing is helping us to be more conformed into the image and likeness of Jesus. And here's what that means. That means that you can trust the process even when the process doesn't make sense to you. Verse four says, let steadfastness have its full effect. Interesting, that sounds very passive, doesn't it? Just sort of let go and let God, that's not the intent. When he says, let it have, it's in the original language in a present active imperative. The idea is it's a command that you are actively to embrace and to lean into it again. In other words, we're not to simply passively allow hardship to hit us. Instead, we're to lean into it, realizing that what's taking place here is designed to do something in us that's incredibly valuable. And yet some of us go the opposite direction when it comes to this process. Let me give you four things, four mistakes that I think we make. First, instead of trusting the process, we resist the process. Instead of seeing the process as good, we look at the process and say, well, I don't like it. I think it's a bad plan. I think God's being unfair. Or for some of you, you're like, this isn't what I signed up for. Or secondly, a root of bitterness can grow in. Instead of being an external processor where maybe you're sort of letting all of your unbelief sort of hang out, instead, there's this internal anger that becomes more bitter where you're just emotionally frustrated with everyone and everything and God. It shows up when you go to the grocery store. It relates to how you text. There's just a nasty edge about everything in your world right now because at the end of the day, you don't trust the process, you don't like the process, I don't want the process, I just want life back to the way it was before. Do you sense that in our world? Do you sense that in your own soul, in your family? I said last week we kind of moved from sad to mad to bad and you probably ran into all kinds of people like that this week. Grocery store, ooh, they're sad, mm, they're mad. That dude's bad, right? <laughs> just, you just see it. Some of you also, instead of just resistance or bitterness, you struggle with doubt. You struggle wondering if the process really is good. Or maybe you doubt how strong your faith really is. Or maybe, fourth, it even steps into the area of despair where you just don't think endurance is really even possible. Or you just have kind of given up. So James says, let steadfastness have its full effect. So trust the process, trust the process. So here's the good news. The good news is that those of you who are perfectionists and you tend to hear something like this, like I gotta do more, I gotta do more, I gotta do more, that's not what the Bible is calling you to do here. It's not where you just have to get up every morning and be like, trust the process, trust the process, trust the process. No, instead, what the Bible tells us is that everything that God commands, he also empowers. So here's the great news. When God says trust the process, when God says let steadfastness have its full effect, he empowers the ability to do that. God promises to do for us what he commands from us. Look at this text, 2 Corinthians 9 and verse eight. And God is able to make all grace abound to you 
so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. You know when I need this verse? I don't usually need this verse at eight o'clock in the morning when I'm well rested. I need this verse at 9.30 at night when I'm so tired and despairing of life. I need to be reminded that the God of all grace can help me the next day. Or Philippians 2, 12, love this verse. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now not only in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. And here's how he says it's gonna happen. Love this verse. For it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. You know what that means? It means that God is the one who works in you by his grace to both give you a heart to want to do what's right and the power to do what's right. So if you find yourself in a position where you're like, I don't even know how to do right and I don't even want to do right, you need to know that God's grace comes right in the middle of that. Paul Tripp put it this way, God will take you where you wouldn't go to produce in you what you couldn't accomplish. That's a good word, isn't it? God will take you where you wouldn't go to produce in you what you couldn't accomplish. One of my favorite books is the classic Pilgrim's Progress by John Bunyan. He wrote it while in prison. At one point in time in life, he was in prison for 12 years because he refused state-required ordination in the Episcopal Church and he refused to be forced to use the Book of Common Prayer And he said this about how to make it through hardship. I love this. I was made to see that if ever I would suffer rightly, I must first pass a sentence of death upon everything that can be properly called a thing of this life, even to reckon myself, my wife, my children, my health, my enjoyment, and all as dead to me and myself as dead to them. And second, and here's the key, was to learn to live upon God that is invisible. The way to not faint is to look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. So what's he saying? He's saying to essentially let go of my expectations of how life is gonna be or how this is gonna turn out or what I wanted or what I desire or I want it to be clear. I want, I want, I want. John Bunyan says, I decided to pass a sentence of death on that and then learn to live on him who is invisible. And church, let me tell you, one of the things that hardships do is they reveal to us how unschooled we are on living on him who is invisible. And hardship creates the opportunity for us to be schooled and trained and learned in how it is to live on God who is invisible. And that's what makes hardship hard, but it's also what makes hardship glorious. And so we need to trust the process, that somehow, some way, God's working out a plan and he's using all of these things for my good, I just don't see it right now. There's gonna be a day when 2020 is gonna be over. Can't you wait? <laughs> There's a day when this is gonna be in the rearview mirror, we'll talk about this time in 2025, like, woo, that was an awful time, right? That was, that was bad, bad news. But you know what? My hope and prayer is that we'll look back on this time and say, you know, it was really hard, but I learned some things about me, about the gospel, about the Bible, about God's faithfulness, about the church. I learned some things that were really, really valuable. I hope you'll come to the conclusion, 2020 was hard, but it wasn't bad because God was doing something in the midst of that.
So trust the process, number one. Number two, love the result. You know, it's one thing to trust the process. It's another thing to love what it is that the process is doing. In fact, there's a really important word, and let steadfastness have its full effect. Now look at your Bible. What's the next word? Say it out loud. Oops. Look at your Bibles and tell me what the next word is. And let steadfastness have its full effect. Next word is that. The word that is really important. You know why? Because the word that links with that which is important in light of what he just said. Let steadfastness have its full effect. That. So here's what's gonna come next. There's things that are valuable that are gonna follow the word that, and now we have to determine, do I really love what follows the word that? Now what is it that follows? Three key words. That you may be perfect. Now, again, perfect here doesn't mean that you're sinless. It doesn't mean that you're perfect, like you never make any mistakes. The, the word here is for the word mature or developed or without defect. In context, it's referring to spiritual maturity. And what hardship does is it creates an opportunity for spiritual development to take place in our life. That's one of the reasons that we're gonna take the next 30 days and to lean in with prayer and fasting so that we could say, Lord, we wanna use the press of this hardship for us to lean into you. Like James says, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. We may not know all the reasons why God is doing what he's doing or allowing what he's allowing, but we do know this, that his end game, his end product for us is for us to look more and more like Jesus. In fact, the word perfect here is so important. Look at James 1.17 in your Bible. Here's three different ways James uses it, the word perfect. He says, every good gift and every perfect gift is from above. So he's talking there about things that God gives and how they're a reflection of his goodness to us. That's James 1.17. If you look at 1.25, he says, but the one who looks into the perfect law the law of liberty, so he's referring there to the substance of God's word, of God's law, and how it's perfect. It reflects something about divine beauty and glory. And then James chapter three and verse two, in regards to teachers, he says, we all stumble in many ways, and if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man. In other words, he has a, a spiritual maturity about him that is unusual. So what does the word perfect mean? The word perfect, James uses it to describe things that are on earth that reflect heavenly beauty and glory. In fact, Jesus uses the word in Matthew chapter five this way, super instructive. He says, for if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even tax collectors have the same or do the same? And if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? He says, you therefore must be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. What's he saying there? He's saying that anybody could love people who love you back. Anybody can be nice to nice people. That doesn't require anything. But to be nice to mean people, to be kind to those who aren't kind, and to be somehow loving to those who aren't loving in return, now that requires something in you that reflects a divine glory seen on earth. So what does the word perfect mean? The word perfect means that something in you is reflected the beauty of who and what Christ is. So listen to me. Here is what it means to love the result. It is that at the end of the day, you love the way in which the formation of Christ is happening in you, and you love it to such an extent that you know that what's taking place in your life is reflecting something that's from another world. 
You're actually seeing the glory and beauty of Jesus within you, and that's what we signed up for. It is not just to be forgiven of our sins, but at the end of the day, because we're made more and more like Jesus, that's what a Christian really lives for. And what suffering calls into question is, do I really love that or not? Do I really want that? Do I really cherish that? And you know, one of the things that hardship does is it puts it front and center for us to say, do I really wanna be like Christ? Or let's be honest, or do I just want life to be easy again? Do I really wanna be formed in the image and likeness of Jesus? Is that really what I live for? Or do I just want certainty and I want life to be calm and I don't want another issue coming my way? And what James is saying here is you're to let steadfastness have its work in you because at the end of the day, to be formed into the image and likeness of Jesus is the end goal of what God is doing in all of our lives. So to be perfect, secondly, is the word complete. The word means entire or whole. It just, it acknowledges that there are gaps in our lives. And there's nothing like hardship to reveal those gaps. And I know those gaps get really wearisome. I know those gaps get really exhausting. One of the things I love to do is to roast coffee. I have a little coffee roaster at home, and so last night I tried to roast some coffee, and it didn't go well. Thing didn't work. I had to re-roast it again. I sat down next to my wife, and I went, and she said, what's the matter? And I said, I can't even roast coffee really good right now. Like, it's, life is that bad. Like, I can't even roast coffee. Like, you know, what's going on inside my soul? A little bit of complaining, a little bit of poor me. It's 9.30 at night, I'm tired, all that. But you know what? Part of it is, is I'm just tired of seeing all the mistakes and gaps in my life. Like, I know I'm not perfect, but I don't like it when a spotlight is shown on them over and over and over. And yet this text just simply calls us to embrace the reality. I am imperfect and I need Jesus to help me. Third, lacking nothing. The process of sanctification means that God, by his spirit, is creating and forming within us the likeness of Jesus so that we lack nothing. The end game of trials, along with his provision of grace, is to do something amazing in us. It is that at the end of this year, at the end of this month, and by God's grace, even at the end of this week, that we'll actually see in ourselves something that looks more like Jesus this week, more substantially than we saw last week. And the question, church, is whether or not that's gonna be something you tolerate in your life or whether that's something you're going to celebrate. You see, steadfast joy comes as we celebrate the opportunity to be transformed into the likeness of Jesus. And for some of you who are just really weary and discouraged, you're like, I'd like to see an example of how setting something out ahead of me in joy actually creates the level of endurance. Friend, you need to look no further than Hebrews chapter 12. Look at the argument that the writer makes. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside the weight and sin which clings so closely. Let us run with endurance the race set before us. Sometimes you don't get to choose your race. It's just set before you. Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who, here it is, for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross, despising the shame, is seated at the right hand of the throne of God, and the writer of Hebrews says, consider him. Like, look at him. See him. See what he did. 
Why? What he endured from sinners, such hostility against himself, so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. So I'm here to tell you, if you try and solve the faint-heartedness and the weariness by looking towards a change of circumstances, I, I, I gotta tell you, I don't wanna give you bad news, but you're gonna be not only disappointed, but it actually could get worse. And what is your hope? How do you find joy even when things get more challenging? Because at the end of the day, if God's aim is to make me like Jesus, then neither I nor the devil nor circumstances can thwart that plan. And when my joy is in that, oh, it becomes the fuel to endure, not just tolerate, but actually to celebrate what it is that God is doing. And in that respect, hardship is a beautiful opportunity for me to be formed into the image of likeness of Jesus. If I can just embrace the joy that can then fuel that endurance. Let me pray for us. Lord, we need a sovereign, gracious provision of joy in order that we might endure. Lord, we need that so deeply in ourselves. We know we can't manufacture it. We know it can't come from some sort of willpower on our own. We need you by your spirit even now to do it. And so Lord, even use this service both in the room and online to encourage people to follow you faithfully this week, to choose joy, to choose to let endurance and steadfastness have its full effect. So Jesus, increase our affections, we pray for you, so that joy can soar and that endurance could continue. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.